prepare to dive headfirst into the world of business, wearing nothing but ambition and a keyboard. Oh wait, that's us. Welcome to Founder Quest. Does this keyboard make my butt look good? So Josh, did you buy a Vision Pro? I did not. I'm still not sure if it was the right call or not, because I was listening to the latest episode of Dithering with Ben and John Gruber, and John was talking about how like the first half of the episode was like, it's not, not quite there for productivity. I was like, whew, I've dodged a bullet. Mm -hmm. But the second half of the episode, he just spent raving about the just the entertainment experience. He said he has a like a 77 inch TV in his living room and the Vision Pro makes it feel like a, you know, whatever, like a 13 inch box from the 90s <laughs> after watching a movie or a like a game in the Vision Pro. So, um, yeah, I'm, I don't know. I'm feeling a little FOMO now. Yeah, yeah, same. I initially I was thinking that I, I didn't when I first saw, I think it was like early, I can't remember exactly when I read this, but I was like, when I realized that it couldn't do multiple Mac window space, but you only had your desktop in the space. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I'm not so interested. Because what I really want is to really bring the different windows in different spots. But then I was thinking about it some more after listening to that podcast episode you just talked about and looking at um, Marquez Brownlee's review, which was fantastic on YouTube. After watching those and listening to that, I thought, actually, that actually would be fine because I would... If I had my Mac desktop as a window, then I would also have Slack over on the side and whatever other like Vision OS apps mm -hmm. in the different places. And then the Mac window that I would have would probably just be my editor and that would be fine. Yeah. Like I could have Savard. Yeah, it makes like the Mac just becomes like another window in yeah. the Vision Pro yeah. OS. That's how it works. Okay. Yeah. So I sold myself on it when I had, before I had pretty much decided I didn't want it. So yeah, I kind yeah. of flip flopped there. But. I haven't purchased one yet. Well, you know, we have our next quarterly conclave strategy session coming up and normally we meet up in person, but this would be a great time to to try the remote in person, <laughs> the conference board meeting of the future. Right. Exactly. With those personas. Yeah. Do yes. they have a vault environment? I guess we could justify this as a business expense, right? If we if we buy them for meetings. I'm sure <laughs> we could. Yeah. Now, on, on the meetings though, one thing that I really liked about Marcos's video was he showed having the FaceTime with the persona with multiple people. And as he would turn to one person or turn to the other person, they could tell that he was looking at them. And then the other person yeah. who he was not looking at could tell he was looking away. And I thought that was super cool because on, on Zoom, when you have multiple people, they don't really know what you're looking at because it's all in one spot. So I thought that it's is much a more impersonal. Thing. Yeah, of course. Everyone has to have a Vision Pro, but you know. That's the thing, yeah. Yeah, it's got, <laughs> I've heard it's a very different experience if one person has it and the other person doesn't. Right, right. But yeah, we'll see. I don't know. It probably doesn't fit within our current plans for uh, whatever, making money. So maybe it'll be like the reward for achieving our goal there of you go. 100 customers spending $100 yeah, yeah. by March 31st, like just that. to reiterate. That's a definite carrot we can use to motivate ourselves. Yeah. Or who knows? Maybe we'll just treat ourselves. We can still do that, right? <laughs> so if we get our goal, then we can buy Vision Pros. If we don't meet our goal, then I guess we can just go get ice cream. I like ice cream. Yeah, I like ice cream too. It's a win-win. It's win -win. On that note, I had a little bit of news yesterday. I had an inquiry from someone about Insights. That's a customer that got access to Insights a month or two ago. I can't remember how long now. And I haven't heard from them since they first got access. And so they just dropped in my inbox yesterday and they're all like, hey, can you take a look at these things and found four things that we could address? 
And then the fifth item in their email was, and what's the pricing on this? I was like, yes, I just love it when people ask for the pricing. It's nice they're expecting that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, don't, they don't just think they're going to get it for free forever. Well, and that they're interested enough that they're signaling that they're willing to pay. That's huge. And we all yeah. know that willingness to pay is not necessarily the same as actually paying because those mm -hmm. people, those are sometimes different. But when it's an existing customer and you've got this new thing and they're, yeah, I think that's a good sign anyway. You're totally right. Yeah. You know, the other thing that tells me is that, that they know something about the pricing for these things potentially. And I think that sounds like they are aware of maybe like competitor pricing. Maybe they're using competitor Mm -hmm. and this is compelling enough to switch, yep. which is, I think that's at the point when I would be like, okay, let's see, let's see how much this is actually going to cost, like in comparison to what I'm currently using. So right. that's very positive. Yeah. Yeah. So this is encouraging me to, to go and talk to more customers and do some of that sales outreach that we talked about before that can help us yeah. get to our goal. Yeah, that's great. Let's do it. But you had some big news in the past few days too. Well, this week, it was a nice, I think it was Monday, right? So, it was Or Sunday night. Like, or Monday you know, night? I can't remember what night. Yeah, it was Sunday night, but our project Exceptional Creatures, which you can go look at exceptionalcreatures.com. It's a, uh, like, a little bit like a Pokédex of uh, Ruby exceptions. So it's like we have little creatures, like character designs for specific Ruby exceptions in the Ruby standard library. And we've illustrated them and we've done fun technical content based around this like world of whimsical creatures. And this was a project of mine from, I don't know, gosh, was it like 20, I want to say like 2018 or 2019? I looked it up. It's, uh, or it's seven years old. Was it before? Wow. Yeah. So it's been around a while now. <laughs> I guess we've been around a while now. We did it and it's been sitting there, but it showed up on the front page of Hacker News on Sunday night and had a resurgence of interest. And since then, it's been getting a lot of attention on social media. And we just found out it was um, top of uh, Ruby Weekly, the newsletter by Cooper Press that's very popular this week. So that was a really nice, a nice way to start the week. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Like some random person found it and posted Hacker News and people loved it. Mm -hmm. and yeah, I had a friend like text me on Sunday night, like, hey, you're number one on Hacker News. Like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> it was some random person named Ben. I don't know. You I... said it wasn't a sock puppet, but I'm not convinced. <laughs> it was not me. But in any case, thank you, Ben. Thanks, if you're ben. out there, if you're listening or not, thank you. Yeah, that was um, a lot of fun. Yeah, that, that made our week. And uh, it makes me wonder, like, what's next for Exceptional Creatures? It's been something that, like, I always think about when I'm like, that would be a really cool project to keep going. But, of course, juggling everything that we do. Um, but it's making me think there's probably still some potential there to keep working on it. You, you triggered a thought. I just had this idea. What if we take the exceptional creatures? I think we have like 12 or 16 of them, whatever it is. We take them and we make a little booklet. We get it printed up yeah. and we actually hand it out at conferences. My dream has been to make a book out of exceptional creatures. But I think every time I think about it, it's been like, I have this grand vision of what it could be. And then, but the easy thing to do would be to like do, take what we have and put it into a book and do like a, a quick kind of conference swag book. But what I'm envisioning is like a Kickstarter for like a bespoke, like Ill hand illustrated, like story about Ruby creatures for kids that would like introduce them to the wonderful world of programming. Totally. And yeah. I just think that would be awesome. I would love to do that. And of course now, like exceptional creatures was before the like sea change of generative AI and like when ChatGPT and Midjourney and everything started to blow up, I actually like played with the concept of generating 
like creatures because chat GPT can generate character sheets. For mm -hmm. example, if you like give it some inspiration and then you can go and generate like creatures based on those character sheets with whatever mid journey or chat GPT now, but I don't think I'd go that direction. I think I'd double down on the, like the hand drawn or hand like illustrated, have an artist, like my wife did the creatures we've talked about, um, maybe like giving them a refresh or doing some more. But I just think it would be really cool to have like, just have an artist continue to do these and not go down the AI route just because like, it's so much better. Like it was fun to do, to generate the things and it's very fast and you get kind of like, you know, you know, it's like pretty good, like quote in quotation marks, <laughs> but it just doesn't compare to like actually putting in the work and like doing it yourself. Yeah. No school like the old school. So. I think we will continue to work with artists at Honey Badger. Oh, yeah. yeah. We are definitely a handcrafted artisanal shop at Honey Badger. That's right. It's our Pacific Northwest roots, right? Plus, yeah, I don't know. My, my wife would probably leave me if I replaced her with, a, with an AI bot. <laughs> I think that's fair. Reason for divorce, AI. <laughs> I'm sure it won't be the... Yeah, I'm sure it's not the first one. <laughs> right. <laughs> it seems like they're taking it pretty seriously down there in Silicon Valley. Uh, the age in which we live. Yeah. Since we're recording later this week than we usually record, we have actually, a, I think, a bumper crop of news. So also this week, I sat and chatted with a podcast, the Rubber Duck Dev podcast. That was a fun chat. We talked about ops for developers. Uh, I just, okay. I've been thinking a lot lately about our mission in life for Honey Badger is to help developers have a better day, right? To manage, see what their application is doing in production and to help their customers have a good experience by knowing if errors are being thrown or whatever. And I just been thinking a lot about how we get to help developers level up and not just, you know, write the code and throw it over the wall, but actually run the code and know what's going on and making sure it's a good experience. And so I think part of that is the ops scene, DevOps in particular, like a developer doing ops is how I think about DevOps. I know there's a variety of definitions out there for DevOps, but yeah. so we talked about that on the podcast and one of the things is I was getting ready for that podcast. I was thinking about uh, uh, DHH has been saying like Rails is a single developer framework. And, and so the thought that I had was, okay, that's cool. Like you can build a great app as a single developer, but you also should be able to run the app as a single developer, right? And for yeah. a lot of developers, it's just, okay, I push it to Heroku and I'm done. Uh, but you know, when you might outgrow Heroku. And so at that point you need to know, like, how do I get this thing onto a server? How do I get it out to the world? And, you know, Kamal is really helpful for that and making it easy to, you know, push yeah. your Docker container out there and Rails 7.1 has some great improvements for Docker there. So I just think like in general, as we, as a species, as developers, as we get better at running our apps, then, you know, we'll be happier, right? We can be more self-sufficient, like the framework of one promises. Yeah, yeah. It seems like Docker is really kind of having its moment in um, like on the smaller end of the development spectrum. Like in our world, a lot of developers like those, the whatever single developer apps or the small apps would have just pushed it to Heroku. But it seems like people are maybe moving more back towards the idea of running it yeah. on your own hardware or whatever. And I, of course, I'm sure DHH, you know, he's been kind of evangelizing that approach ever since they have did that with Basecamp and Hey. Mm -hmm. um, and everything. So yeah, it's interesting to see that people moving away from the like platform as a service to like running your own, like open source infrastructure, yeah. uh, even when you're small, that's, I think that's the, yeah. the key. And even for DevOps, yeah, you make a good point. 
like DevOps, it's a thing for big companies. Like it's, that's where the revolution was like in the large organization that were stuck in the IT age yep. of having IT departments and having this wall of separation between IT and dev. But like our, our goal has always been to like, take that and take some of the like good ideas from that world and bring it to the smaller teams to make them even more efficient and responsive. So, um, I think like for us, it makes sense to think think of devs doing ops because we're like heavily focused on the dev side of things. And we're also focused on the smaller end of the team. So most of the teams that we're working with are not like the kind of large companies that have like multiple ops teams that are separate from the devs that have to work together with them. Usually people are kind of juggling both roles in the same seat or in a very small team. Yeah. And, you know, with the tech layoffs that we've had in the past year, we're going to keep seeing, I think, doing more with less. And that means the individuals yeah. in that seat doing more things, right? Managing more tasks and taking more responsibilities. So, yeah, I think we'll see more of that trend in the future. That could be a marketing opportunity for us because that's been our marketing language for a while now. Yeah. I'll have to go check out that episode of the Rubber Duck Developer Podcast. I was going to ask, what is it like podcasting with a rubber duck? Because... Normally, like you have a host that interacts with you, but it just, it's gotta be weird. Just, I'm, I assume it's just, you show up and talk, right? <laughs> that, that would be kind of fun, actually. <laughs> I think it would be like a little rough to do that to your guests, but I could see if you were a single dev th and that was your format where it's like, you know, a format where you're just monologuing anyway, yep. make it the rubber duck podcast and have a quote unquote co-host, <laughs> but the hope. The co-host is just like a rubber duck with a camera. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I've been interested in, in the idea of a monologuing podcast recently. I don't know if that would be something that would be long-term listenable, you know, because I think the conversation between people is really where I think the dynamic is great. So I just don't know if that'd actually be good or not, but I just think it's an interesting idea of, well, I'm just going to chat at you for a while about things that I think are interesting, you know. It can be good. You know who has an awesome like single person monologue, like daily podcast is Lex Friedman. And this isn't the big Lex Friedman. This is Lex Friedman, who I think he, he worked with podcasting mid-roll. Mm -hmm. um, yep. We worked with him back in the day, but he has this podcast called, Your, I think it's called Your Daily Lex. And he's, he's like a total character. Like he records music with his kid and does like publishes albums on Spotify and stuff and has his own jingles and things. And he's like really good at recording because he's from the podcasting industry. So he's got this really short, like usually five or 10 minute podcast that is just like him, like just monologuing about some story from his life recently, or like just kind of a, here's a thought for you to think about, <laughs> but he's just really, he has a really good, like broadcaster presence and it's fun. So I know you could, the format can definitely work. Hmm. I'll check it out. Yeah. Obviously I'm not a podcast aficionado. I probably listen to too many podcasts. When we're not listening to podcasts and not being number one in hacker news for our awesomeness, we're also shipping stuff. And you shipped some pretty cool stuff this week. Well, you shipped some pretty cool stuff this week too. And <laughs> hey, you, we you both shipped, shipped some pretty cool stuff first. this week. You, you, you beat me this week. <laughs> so I guess we'll talk about your thing first, but you shipped our new search backend, right? Yeah, yeah. So we talked to, I think a couple times now about replacing our Elasticsearch cluster with ClickHouse for doing our search and got that deployed. I think maybe you didn't realize that we were racing, but we were racing. And yesterday when I got my merge in first and I like celebrated in Slack and I appreciate your congratulations, yeah. but. I mean, um, I have kind of learned in the past never to like agree to a race with Ben Curtis on a Git branch. <laughs> so it was a lot of work. I was more than I was expecting, of course, as per usual, but it was a lot of fun. I got to play with ClickHouse and find some of the sharp edges there. 
And that was cool. One of the one of the main goals was to not have any like visible change to the customer. So uh, our search syntax didn't change. None of the interactions changed. It's it all is you know completely invisible. And uh, so I wrote this kind of abstraction inside of our code that separates the query language from the back end and then inserted ClickHouse there with a the feature flag. So right now it's deployed uh, only for a few customers. I just want to test it out and make sure that it works. But, and I don't want any surprises, like if people are searching for things and they had something match yesterday, I don't want them to not match today, right? So um, I was looking through I was actually sitting down last night looking at our search documentation and like our search documentation is pretty lengthy actually. And I'm like, you know what? I think this is because search is pretty important in our application, right? It's a big deal to have yeah. search work well. And that's something that I think for a long time we sold as a selling point versus some of our competitors that our search is freaking awesome, right? So yeah. It still is. It still is. It is yeah. freaking awesome. And I didn't want to break that in any way. So yeah, it's there. It's deployed. I'm so relieved. There was a, that was a lot yeah. of work and I'm nice. I'm glad to have that branch, like not a branch anymore. So you're saying our search is still, it's not only freaking awesome, but it's now like way faster or soon to be way faster. Cause it wasn't there a big like performance yeah. boost from ClickHouse over Elasticsearch. Is that what we're thinking? I was seeing literally 10x improvement in search wow. results. Yeah. Instead of something taking like 1.2 seconds, it's taking 120 milliseconds. It sounds like the best of both worlds then. Right? Yeah. Awesome search and fast search. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. I reviewed that PR and it it did look like a just a like massive amount of work, especially like working with a new database mm -hmm. system and everything. And I'm sure like working out like how to translate the nuances of Elasticsearch to make it work the same way in ClickHouse was no small feat. So nice work there. I will say that whatever best practice we use for using small objects and like factoring some of the back end, like how we construct our search queries and things must have come in handy yeah. because you could like just adapt, you know, you have a Elasticsearch version of an object and you can create a ClickHouse version of that object and it plugs right into the system. Kind of a speaking of ducks, mm -hmm. like a duck type, basically. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And shout out to the uh, ClickHouse Active Record gem for making it easy to talk to ClickHouse with, you know, sugary sweet syntax of Active Record. That was oh, yeah. pretty handy. That was the other thing that was really cool. Um, I guess this is getting fairly technical, but for the Rails people, yeah, because like our Elastic Search stuff has always been a little bit mystifying to me mm -hmm. just because it's like it doesn't follow the rails standards and we're kind of just constructing query strings on the fly um so having like actually being able to like plug the click house into the application just like another database because you can have like multiple active record databases in rails it just makes the whole thing much more approachable to me because it's just another database you're querying almost even though it's technically it's more of a search index than a database but same idea so yeah, I'm really excited about that change actually. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely nicer to be able to work with SQL syntax than it is working with the random JSON payloads that Elasticsearch likes. Yeah, yeah I think it, it was the payloads that, yeah, it yeah. didn't feel like real querying. Yeah, I could never remember like the structure of stuff. And every time I would have to go back and like, how do I do this thing in Elasticsearch? I just have to like go look it up. And recently, now that <laughs> OpenAI is around, now I can ask ChatGPT. <laughs> And that's so much better because it actually, it can just tell me, boom, there it is. <laughs> I guess it came on a little late considering we're moving away from Elasticsearch, but highly recommend it for, for creating Elasticsearch queries. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it can help with ClickHouse queries too. Yeah, probably. <laughs> or at least it will. But cool. uh, well, you know, my, uh, my stuff is all invisible. Your stuff is all very visible. 
Yeah. Um, last episode, we talked about launching the UI behind a feature flag and sent out an email to our customers. We got a lot of good feedback and we spent the last week working through that feedback, fixing bugs, making improvements. We actually made some significant changes to the UI based on that feedback and it made everything kind of just click into place a little bit better, I think. So yeah, totally just made the whole thing better overall. And the best part is that feedback actually came from real users who are familiar with our app and have been using it for a long time. So it's valuable to sit down with someone in front of a screen and have them like look through the app and give you give you feedback. But when it's an actual user that is familiar, that's a user of it for real, it's just all the better. So that I think that re worked really well. And I'm really happy with the re result. And so yeah, we got through all that. And we didn't ship it Tuesday, we were shooting for Tuesday, which was earlier this week, it's Thursday now, but we got to it Wednesday. So we were one day one day late. So I think that's pretty good, especially for us. <laughs> yeah, definitely. For a company yeah. that's not big on deadlines, yeah, only missing it by a day was pretty, pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Go us. This is, I, I, <laughs> um, anyway, one of the things that we added, this didn't come, I think this came from, uh, well, I think we all kind of had some ideas around this separately. And then like we realized it, um, like th we should totally do that. But so basically we added a random quote generator to the app to basically just like spit out some fun developer-y quotes that are, that we like basically our favorites. And we put it in our, you know, like navigation, like sidebar that like, it's not visible all the time, but when you go to like navigate to like a top level page, you open it. So we kind of had this extra space and I was like, what should I do with this space? Like other companies will put a copyright or something boring. So we were like, why don't we just have a little fun and introduce some more whimsy into the, your otherwise scary experience of dealing with errors and outages and whatever else you're coming to Honey Badger for. So I think that's my favorite change that we made is we've got some quotes from Matt's. We've got some quotes from Sandy Metz. We've got some of our favorite movie quotes and TV quotes. We've got some office, uh, you know, bears beats, Battlestar Galactica <laughs> and, uh, uh, hack the planet. Um, so. Uh, yeah, it's pretty fun. If you are a Honey Badger user, you should definitely just refresh it a bunch of times and see what pops up. Yeah, that that was totally fun feature. I'm glad you tossed that in there at the very end. I don't. I guess that was probably my number one feature. But my number two, I think, of the change was changing the top color. And you reminded me oh, of that. Yeah. You reminded me of that just now when you said, you know, sometimes it's scary working Honey Badger because somebody wrote in and said, oh, I like the new header color because it's not as scary. <laughs> and I'm like, yep, yeah, I feel yeah. the same way. <laughs> we had this like the, our brash orange, uh, Honey Badger orange color is the like the top nav bar in the past. And now we have a soft, like light color. And it, yeah, you're right. It, like it totally just changed the vibe of being in the app. And it really like some of the other changes we made, like really simplified the environment even more while introducing new things. Like we have global views of more things now across projects and, and it gives us like, there's a lot more room to put things now as we're like introducing insights and some, you know, I, we have ideas for where we want to take the app and this is kind of like the foundation for that. So, um, I think we did a good job of keeping that simplicity that we're going for while giving ourselves more space to make it more complicated. It's always a balancing act, yeah. but yeah, like when I have to go, cause we have like our on-prem separate honey badger instance that we use for monitoring honey badger, because you don't want to monitor your service with your service. And we haven't deployed the new UI update there yet. And every time I go back there, I'm like, what is this like ancient archaic app <laughs> from 10 years ago? 
So it's really once you, yeah, it's really hard to go back once you get into the new, yeah. once you get into the new look. My number three favorite new change is the overview of the at a glance of being able to see which sites and check-ins are failing when you look at the projects list. That's to me, it's huge. Like not, you yeah. Know, before you could just see what the status of your errors were and now you can see the status of all the things we monitor. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. I love some of those like small, like just quality of life improvements you made across the whole, basically across the whole app. And I think we have even more things we can do there. And I think the main thing is just, I love that we're thinking about this and just doing the work. So sometimes it's good to work on the product and not just do marketing. I know that <laughs> I've had that thought a little bit just because that's, you hear that advice from a lot of people like, oh, don't work on product. You don't need to work on product. You just need to do marketing because it's true. Like a lot of people, especially like developers who are doing the, the developer founder thing, their first instinct is not to do marketing. And so they don't do any marketing. But like, I think in the past we took that to heart and really like we do a lot, we did a lot of marketing and we do a lot of marketing, but there's a balance. You still should work on your product. <laughs> yeah. If there's anyone listening that uh, that feels bad about shipping features, like still ship your features. And to add one thing there, I think, and work on your product in visible ways. I think a lot of the work that we do on Honey Badger is not very visible to the customer. Like we do performance improvements or we do a feature here that only a few people are going to use, you know? Yeah. Um, Integrations. Yeah. And I think that having visible updates to your app over time, just, it just helps people feel like, oh, this is not abandonware. They're still taking yeah. care of it. They're still in there. It's not, yeah. You know what I mean? It, like the, I mean, it, you get what the wisdom is saying. You, you don't want to just keep adding things right. and adding things to the app over and over because then you just end up with an app that is full of random features and things. But if you do it intentionally, um, something I'm excited about for this year that we've done a little bit as a part of this update and I want to continue doing is just re redesigning things in the app or rebuilding them like existing features like rethink them and make them better mm -hmm. and see if they see if it still makes sense to fit in where they do or can we can we like change how it works it's not necessarily adding a new feature but like reimagining a feature that gets a lot of use and and finding ways that we can either improve it or even just polish it up a little bit i think that's what i want to spend more time on later this year yeah that's it just makes it feel better and everyone's yeah. happy when, you know, when it's better. I, back to the marketing bit, I noticed when you posted, I guess it was to Mastodon and you, you poked uh, Matt's, you referenced yeah. Matt's because you were showing his quote. I'm like, oh, that's some pretty clever marketing going on there, Josh. That one. Yeah. That the one that he, so he retweeted me on Twitter. I don't okay. know if he got, I did, I mentioned him everywhere because that, you know, I have to post to like five, like whatever I right. post to all the different networks now. But yeah, I posted it. One of them was to Twitter. He's a little more active on Twitter, it seems. But yeah, he retweeted us on Twitter, which was really nice of him. Nice. But yeah, I, I one of his quotes popped up and I took a screenshot and thought that would be a good one. Good one to share. Yeah, that was awesome. But yeah, I think that's it's not it's it's a it's a tiny thing, like a, just a quote <laughs> in the app. But the reason that it's my favorite is just because one, it's it's so much fun and inspires joy. It makes people happy. And two, it's good. It's good for us. It's marketing. It's viral marketing because I'm sure I'm not the last one to screenshot one of the quotes and post it to social media or where, whatever, or like yeah. share it somewhere, even if it's in your company Slack or whatever. So I think it's another win-win situation that is just, it's just fun. It's good marketing. And from a product is marketing point of view, 
that it plays it, it it goes along with our brand right we are not yeah just the button down corporate you know triple seven cockpit kind of application right we we have a little bit of whimsy we have a little bit of fun we have weird colors you know um, yeah yeah you remind me one of the ideas we've had over the years was to have exceptional creatures in the app somehow and i think i'm going to do that after this call or at least i'm going to give myself a note another note because i think it doesn't have to be like dramatic but we could totally because like you know there's specific ruby errors on exceptional creatures that have the class names and everything we could match this up really easily just for the handful of the most popular ones and just put a little like a little character a little like link to it that isn't going to get in your way but does that again like just it's like a fun little thing or easter egg i gotta do that here's what i'm here's what i'm thinking all right so let's say it's a no method error or whatever one of the popular exceptional creatures and you're looking at the detail and you see the summary you imagine the box right and on the right hand side of the box after i don't know 10 seconds 15 seconds whatever a little delay it slides out from behind the box and just peeks at you right and waves or something and then you can click on it and go over exceptional creatures yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, we, we totally have to put it in there. Yeah. So look for that next week when Josh deploys. Yeah. Yeah, I think the tension between doing things like that is always in, a, in an app like ours is just that the workflow, like you don't want to like interrupt people's workflow with whimsy. Right. Um, because, so there's like a balance of figuring out how to like make it visible and it hit people in the right moments, but not when it's going to frustrate them yeah. basically and yeah but i'm sure we can i'm sure we'll figure it out and there are there's there are ways to do it yeah so i one thing i'm excited to work on next since i'm not cool with the whole css bits that make little creatures pop out of windows but i'm going to work on next is testing clickhouse bit with science uh so for those of you who are ruby people you might be familiar with github's science library which allows you to run two code paths or actually more than two, you can do more than two, but typically it makes sense to do two, where one is the code path that's in production, that's live, and the other is a code path that you're trying out for new, and that's called the candidate, right? And so then you measure the difference between these two paths, and you can measure the performance difference, you can measure the results, make sure they result, you know, to return the same thing. So that's what I'm looking forward to doing over the next week or so, is I'm going to put science out there and... For the customers who are still using the Elasticsearch backend who don't have the feature flag, I will run an experiment, a science experiment, that will compare how much faster, hopefully, the ClickHouse results are and try to ensure that the ClickHouse results are also exactly the same as the ones that we're getting back from Elasticsearch today. That's awesome. I remember that coming out now. Like I had When you said science, I was thinking, oh, that's, you're just going to use the scientific method and develop some experiments and do some like random controlled studies or something. <laughs> but I do remember that. I remember that coming out now. And that's I always wanted to have a, a way to use that. So I'm looking forward to seeing the results of our science experiments. Yeah, I'll, we'll put a link in the show notes to it. One, one of the things that's always been like, I've always wanted to use science and I've never really had a good reason to use it. One one. One reason for that is because we always just, we just ship it here at Honey Badger, right? So it's going to be great. But in this case, I guess I want to be a little more cautious. But one of the, one of the whole things that held me back from using science in the past was that it's, it works great, but seeing the results is difficult because science doesn't have a built-in way of actually reporting the results of the experiments. They give you some code examples of how to do it, but you basically it's, you got to, you got to assemble yourself, right? It's the Ikea bookshelf. 
And so that's just kind of a hassle. It's like you can't just add water and it does it. But there's another gym that we'll link in the show notes called LabTech, which actually does like it's a, it's an engine for Rails that re- records the results in an active record table. So it has a couple, a table or two that it generates for you. And then it gives you a nice little actually terminal UI for seeing the results of your experiment, which is really cool. But as I was <laughs> Googling for this, for, I don't know, it feels like the umpteenth time where every time I, before I've tried to find this thing, it didn't exist and now it exists and I'm excited. But as I was Googling, I was like, you know what? This could be a service, right? This could be a new app, a new product, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, had to hold myself back there as always. Oh the... yeah. I'm like, this is me holding Ben back. <laughs> Entrepreneurial <laughs> Don't do it. So if anybody wants a project idea, there you go. There's a service that can re- get, re- take results from Scientist. And there's also, it's not just, it's not just Ruby. There are a bunch of variations out there. If you go to Scientist, you scroll down to the bottom of the readme, you'll see there's a PHP, there's a Python, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so there's my idea. Build a service that takes payloads from science experiments and then gives a nice visual UI so you can see the results. That actually would be a good fit for us, right? Because we're pretty good at handling a bunch of incoming payloads, right? That's what we do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's that's kind of in our wheelhouse, but uh, yeah. You never know. Yeah. Or we could talk John at Flipper into building it because that's a similar, he he runs the whatever cloud service for for Flipper. Yeah. And he's way into that sort of thing too, the scientists and metrics and stuff. So it's kind of his alley too. I don't know. Maybe we'll have to, we'll have to flip a coin for it or something. (laughs) Maybe we'll have him on. Yeah. Cool. But yeah, I think that's uh, for me. I'm working on landing pages and we'll see if I get to our homepage redesign, but I'm definitely going to be working on continuing the work that you started on the landing page for insights and oh, cool. we'll have a, like a feature tour and that will be part of our launch hopefully. So be good to have it on the website at some point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, the other day I was commenting on the, there's a rails issue for rails eight. They want to add some structured logging as part of mm-hmm. Rails 8 release. And someone made a comment and I had to respond because I just had opinions, right? And I so badly wanted to link to our Insights landing page that is currently only on a branch, right? It's not on our website. I was like, oh, yeah. this would be awesome. But, uh, you know, someday I'll be able to share that. You can go back and edit your comment when there it's live go. or something for future people who land there. But I suppose people who are commenting on that thread would appreciate not having an advertisement link to Insights. So it's probably better that way. Yeah. You got to work it in. You got to be subtle about it. <laughs> yeah. Got to be like a ninja working those links into your comments. But on the topic of the Insights landing page, I think we should put a little pin in the conversation and come back to it maybe in a few weeks or maybe a few months as we figure out how we're going to display pricing for Insights. Because right now our pricing yeah. page is, does not include Insights at all. And do we want to make that more complicated or do we want to have a separate pricing page for Insights? Or Yeah. So I think that's going to mm-hmm. be interesting to figure out over the next few weeks. That's relevant. I was just starting on like the hero section or a hero section for the new landing page. And we have this like mock-up that we did last year with Nurture, our designers or our design team that we worked with. And one of the things it has in there is a pricing button. So I was also thinking about that. Like where, what's this button going to do? Cause I have yeah. no idea, but yeah. I'm going to build it anyway. Yeah. So yeah, that'll be good to talk about. Yeah, I'm curious cool. to see what you do with that. I think it's time to wrap it up unless you have anything else to anything else you want to chat about. I got nothing. All right. This has been Founder Quest. Uh, visit us at founderquestpodcast.com. Go check out and follow us on the socials and whatnot. Give us some happy reviews at the podcasting apps or at least give us a rating. It would help us get in front of more people and bring our message of helping developers and helping developers customers to the world. 
and we'll see you next week. Founder Quest is a weekly podcast by the founders of Ani Badger. Zero instrumentation, 360-degree coverage of errors, outages, and service degradations for your web apps. If you have a web app, you need it. Available at honeybadger.io. Want more from the founders? Go to founderquestpodcast.com. That's one word, where you can access our huge back catalog of episodes. FounderQuest is available on iTunes, Spotify, and other purveyors of fine podcasts. We'll see you next week.